And when we come into the family of God, we become servants of God. And we are owned by God. Now, while that sounds a little oppressive and suppressive, can I just say, who else would you want to own you? <laughs> who else would, who else's would you want to be? Right? We are owned by God. Praise the Lord. In the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, he introduced himself in an unusual and humble way. He refers to himself and to Timothy as servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. No matter a person's situation in life, all believers are servants of Jesus. Listen carefully today as Pastor Lee shares a message from Philippians chapter 1 entitled, The Master of Me. Amen. It's good to see all of you. Take your Bibles and turn with us to the book of Philippians. We're going to begin a new series today entitled Abundant Life, Abundant Joy. And so if you would, turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. Now Philippians is a short but very powerful letter written by the Apostle Paul from a prison cell in Rome. It's a letter to the church in Philippi, which, uh, in, in which the apostle expresses his love and his gratitude for the church. It's also a heartfelt letter uh, that reminds the believers in Philippi of what it looks like to have a heart uh, or a life that is being transformed by the gospel. As we study Philippians over the next few weeks and months, we will learn how the gospel influences and changes every part of our lives. The head, the heart, and the hands. The mind, the attitude, and our actions, in other words. We will come to understand that only when we surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ can we experience the abundance of God's presence in our lives and the true joy that comes from knowing Him. Philippians teaches us about abundant life and abundant joy that we discover in the Christian life. And so as we dive in, let's, uh, let's set the stage by thinking a little bit uh, about the background. Acts chapter 16 is where you would first go for the background for this letter. Uh, in Acts chapter 16, the church in Philippi was planted by Paul. This was during his second missionary journey. This would have been around the time of A.D. 50, about 50 years after the death of Christ. Now, Paul, on his second missionary journey, uh, had some unique things that led him into Macedonia and there into Philippi. Uh, and while he was there, he, he was with Timothy, you may remember, Silas, and Luke. Those were his traveling companions on this missionary journey. Get this. He was in Philippi approximately three months. That wasn't very long. But God did some amazing things, some miraculous things through him and his team as they shared the gospel and as they made disciples there in that city. Acts chapter 16, this will be a good way to kind of give you a frame of reference. Acts chapter 16 in, that, in, the, in Acts chapter 16, we have the story of the beginning of the church in Philippi. 
Philippians is the letter that was written back to that church about 10 years later by the Apostle Paul. Now, the Apostle Paul was no stranger to these people. So when they got the letter, they would have been excited. Uh, they would have been elated. Uh, it would have been very encouraging to them. Uh, and, and so they knew who he was because they had experienced him personally, only, although it was only over a, a three-month period. They would have received it with great joy and even concern over his welfare. Interestingly, when you read the book of Acts, you see even some people that are called by name and described uh, that were impacted by the gospel that, that uh, Paul preached while he was there. Lydia was the first convert and her family. There's a demon-possessed girl who is set free and saved. There is a, a Philippian jailer who, through the storyline there, uh, finds that the, the prison doors are open, and he's about to commit suicide. But instead of committing suicide, he gets saved and baptized, and his entire family comes to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And countless others whose lives were transformed by this missionary journey are receiving this letter. So can you imagine? Can you imagine the whispers around the city? Hey, there's a letter from Paul. Guess what happens? Everybody comes running. It was instantly credible and authoritative. There wasn't any real question as to whether or not they were going to act on what Paul was telling them. Now, here's the interesting thing, and this is kind of where we're going to really focus in on our message today. He was the great apostle Paul, an amazing missionary, tremendous evangelist, so many different ways that you could describe him. So that makes it even more amazing how he begins his letter to the church in Philippi. And that's what I want us to look at this morning. Philippians chapter 1. We'll read verses 1 and 2. That's the greeting. But here's what it says. Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, all of these people in Philippi, again, knew Paul. They saw the power of God demonstrated through his life. And they held him in great esteem, which was proper at times. But, but he comes back to them in this letter ten years later, and he says, Hey, it's Paul, the bond slave of Jesus Christ. The servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how he chooses to begin his letter. So today's message, our first message is entitled, The Master of Me. The Master of Me. Squire Parsons, whom some of you may know, he uh, wrote Southern Gospel Music. He wrote a song that had a line in it like this. When he reaches out his hand, talking about Jesus, when he reaches out his hand... Billows cease at his command. Winds and waves obey his will. 
when he says to them, be still. What man is this, they all did say, that the winds and the waves obey. He's the one who sails with me. He's the master of the sea. And we can go back in the Gospels and we can read the stories about Jesus in the boat on the Sea of Galilee, how he stilled the winds and he calmed the seas. But the question this morning in our minds is not really whether or not he is the master of the sea. The question is, is he the master of me? The question is, is he the master of you? Another way of asking that is this. Are you serving the Lord Jesus Christ? Am I serving the Lord Jesus Christ? Can we identify with Paul and with Timothy as servants of the Lord Jesus Christ? I mean, if we were to write a letter to somebody and say, hey, this is, this is Lee Merck and uh, I'm a servant of the Lord. Would they believe me? Would they recognize that about me? And could I, could I say that? Could you say that? In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6 and verse 24, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Here's a statement that I want you to write down or I want you to hide in your heart and, and just ponder for a while. Jesus never recruited volunteers. Jesus never recruited volunteers. He always called people to be servants. He never begged people to come along. He never begged them for a little bit of time and a little bit of their money. Jesus never recruited volunteers. He always called people to be servants. Mark chapter 10 and verse 43 says, But it is not so among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to be great among you will be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you will be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus himself is identified in the Scriptures as a servant. When Moses died, and we know Moses to be a tremendous leader of the, of the Israelites, it says in Joshua chapter 1, in verse 1, Moses, my servant, is dead. It doesn't say Moses, my leader, Moses, my commander-in-chief, Moses, my volunteer, it says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, contrary to popular belief, the church is not a group of volunteers who give themselves to a good cause. 
That is not how the Bible describes the New Testament church. We are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. But this is not always evident and not always reflected in how we lead and manage our local churches. In fact, sometimes what we find is that we are trying to convince and maybe even coerce people who claim to be followers of Christ to participate in the mission of God by asking for just a little bit more time. Can't you give just a little bit more time to the mission of God? Can't you give just a little bit more money to the mission of God? Can't you carve out some time for God? Boy, that, that's, that's not in the Scriptures. It's not there. In fact, often our appeals seem to be trying to lessen the expectations or requirements for service by saying, well, it won't take much time. It, it, just... just uh, we, we can do that quickly. We, we can make that happen fast. Or we can skip over this. I believe that we see in Scripture, what we see in Scripture is that there's a big difference between a volunteer and a servant. The word Paul uses in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1 is the word doulos. It is not a reference to a hired servant. It's a reference to someone who was born into servitude. It's a reference to someone who is a slave who is owned and completely under the control of their master. It refers to one who gives themselves up to another person's will or one who is devoted to another to the disregard of their own interest. Someone in this position has given up and perceive, uh, any perceived rights that they might own anything. And so I want us to take a look at this word today, just a little bit closer. If we are identified in Scripture as servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, and some translations say bond slave, bond servant, if we're identified in Scripture, now here's, here's the ironic thing, you know, we love to be identified as sons and daughters of God, and we are. So I want you to understand that this servitude here is a position of nobility. It is noble to serve the King of kings and Lord of lords. But it is an aspect of our relationship with God in reference to our ministry and to our activity that we sometimes don't want to embrace. And so what does it look like to be a slave of God, like Paul says he is, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, first of all, it means that we relinquish ownership of all things that we relinquish ownership in all things. Now, each one of these points you'll be able to find throughout the book of Philippians and in other places in Scripture. We'll show you some of that today. But all of these points are coming directly from the idea of doulos. So as followers of Christ, as servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are to relinquish ownership of all things. A true slave understands that they own nothing. 
Nothing they have belongs to them, not even their own life. Everything in the world that is placed at their disposal belongs to someone else. This includes their time and their talents and their treasures. It includes their very life. As Christians, we are in that same position with the Lord Jesus. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19 through 20 says, Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you whom you have from God? You are not your own. You are not your own. For you were bought at a price, so glorify God with your body. We're not our own. When we, when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, He bought us with the precious price of His blood. And when we come into the family of God, we become servants of God. And we are owned by God. Now, while that sounds a little oppressive and suppressive, can I just say, who else would you want to own you? <laughs> who else would, who else's would you want to be? Right? We are owned by God. Praise the Lord. And everything that we are and everything that we have is because of God. As servants who own nothing, we are stewards. We are stewards. We have the responsibility and the privilege of managing things for God. But not just things. We have the responsibility and the privilege of managing our lives for God. You know, that, that really should put us in a different frame of mind. And, and, he, and, and sometimes it should cause us to say things differently. In other words, um, this means that it's not our time that we are giving. It's His time that we are taking. How much time should I give to the Lord? Is the wrong question. How much of the Lord's time should I use in these many ways is the right question. Did you get that? How much? Well, he owns it all. We just said he even owns us. And so it's a, it's a matter of managing what he's given us, being good stewards in a way that glorify the Lord, glorifies the Lord. Romans 14, 8 says, If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. There's that idea of ownership again. We belong to the Lord. And so the question is, do we live as if we belong to the Lord? Do we lead our families and our businesses 
as if we belong to the Lord? Do we participate in extracurricular activities as if we belong to the Lord? Do we organize, lead, and manage our churches as if we belong to the Lord? Or are we constantly trying to find time and space to fit the things of God in? As we can, we will be Christians. That's not scriptural. We are Christians. We belong to Him. In fact, 1 Chronicles 29, 11 says, I'll just read the first part of it. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the splendor and the majesty for everything in the heavens and on earth belongs to you. Servant of Jesus understands nothing belongs to them and relinquishes ownership of everything and does the very best they know how to manage it. I remember years ago, Maggie, some of you met her, some of you hadn't. She's our oldest daughter. Uh, she lives in Jackson, Mississippi, around the Jackson, Mississippi area. Um, she finished up high school at the age of 17 and was getting ready to go to college. Well, she was a senior when we moved out here. So this has been some time ago. She was our first one to leave home. And I remember us going to the airport. Uh, all the girls were together. Christy was flying with her, but we were all staying back. 17 years old, leaving home. We're a close family. And I remember being at the airport, and I, I've never since that time or before that time had such a big knot in my throat. I couldn't even, I couldn't even talk. I was just broken. It was melting on the concrete. So we, were, so we said goodbye. And me and the girls went to Denny's, I think, to get food. We ordered food and just sat there and looked at it. I don't, we, may have ate, we may have eaten a bite or two. And man, I can just remember those early days of her being gone. First one left, and I was just, I was almost devastated. And I, as I often do, I was laying in bed praying for my girls. And uh, the Lord impressed upon me what I needed to know. And that was that He is the owner of her life. And He's a better father to her than I would ever be. So I didn't have to worry. I still worried a little bit. But that's what I'm talking about. When it comes to owning nothing. I, we don't own our kids. They belong to God. We don't own our money. We don't own our houses. These things are, are God-given. They're blessings. For us to steward. Servant of the Lord owns nothing, and that really does make a difference when you think that way. Secondly, servant of the Lord recognizes the need for everything. Relinquishes ownership of all things, recognizes the need for everything. Servants or slaves own nothing, and therefore they need everything. The welfare of a slave is totally dependent on their master. The slave can only hope to have a good master because even the basic 
needs like food and clothing and shelter are in question, not to mention the emotional and psychological and spiritual needs. Slaves need everything. That means that they are at the mercy of their master. At the mercy of their master. Paul joyfully submitted to the Lord Jesus as master. He understood that the Lord was a, is a good master, a kind master, a loving master, a merciful master, a just master, and a, a master that is full of grace. Paul understood that. He knew the master personally, and many of you do as well. If you don't, you can. Paul had, had personally experienced the generosity and care of his master. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19, and we're going to go through the whole book before we're done, so you'll hear us kind of going back and forth. There's, a, there's themes all throughout. He says, and my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. The Gospel of Matthew speaks to us about what kind of Lord and Master Jesus is. In, in Matthew's Gospel there in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 6 and verse 25, it begins by saying, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his life span by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God, this is good. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown in the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you? You of little faith. Being someone who owns nothing and needs everything causes us to have to trust the Lord. It puts us in the position of complete dependency upon God. And here's, here's the deal. The more we relinquish ownership, the more we need Him. And the greater our trust in Him becomes. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Is the cry of our heart every day. Should be the cry of our heart every day. There was a time when I was serving as a youth pastor at a church in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Some of you may have heard Christy tell this story in our small groups. 
But uh, we were young and had uh, our first child and didn't have much, didn't have much at all. Uh, you know, as they say, didn't have two nickels to rub together. And uh, a lot, everybody kind of has those times as they get started in life, and, and we were there. Uh, I was part-time youth director, going to college full-time, and I was flipping burgers at Burger King, doing everything I could to help us pay bills. And uh, she was going to school, taking care of a baby, and a uh, part-time secretary. Well, we had a bill come in that we didn't have any money for. And... Um, we didn't really know what to do, so uh, we were concerned, and we prayed, and uh, we didn't have an answer. We didn't know, honestly didn't know what we were going to do. Went to church on a Sunday morning, went through, you know, I, I taught youth Sunday school, did some different things, and um, Christy went into the nursery to get Maggie. So we get, went from one extreme in her life to the other. So I went, went in the nursery to get Maggie and uh, got in the car and started going through the diaper bag. And there was a check in the diaper bag for the amount of money that we needed. We did not tell anybody about that. Now you can say, oh, what a coincidence. It's not what I would say. I would say that as our Father looks down on us, that, that He is a gracious and a kind Master who provides for our needs and does so in some ways like that from time to time. But the last thing I want you to notice is that a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ Relents and obeys in every way. Relents and obeys in every way. A slave surrenders his or her will to the will of the master. What that means is that we don't wake up in the mornings with plans for our day that are independent of what the master wants for us on that day. Slaves receive instruction and direction. They have duties that they are responsible for. They are told what to do, when to do it. They are told where to go. Obedience is not just an expectation. Obedience to the Lord and Master in the New Testament is, is not just a good idea. And it is more than expected. It is required. It's a way of life for a slave. And one of the ways, many ways, that Paul describes this is in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21. And verse 22, he says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. But the first part of that describes what he understands is complete obedience. For to me to live, not about me, for me to live as Christ, is in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So we get ready to, to wrap up this idea. I know it's kind of a heavy, heavy load. And the reason it's heavy on us is because most of the churches we've been a part of are always asking for... That's right. Well, we've talked about it in our staff meeting. We've decided not to do that anymore. What we're going to do is assume that you are servants. The, the church doesn't need more volunteers to give a little more time and a little more effort. In fact, when churches have a few volunteers give a little more time and a little more effort, do you know where that leads them? They don't come close to accomplishing anything God has for them. Did you know that, now I, I don't remember, so years ago this statistic was, was what it is, and it's probably still the same or a little more, but anywhere from 80 to 90 percent of local churches are plateaued and declining. There are many reasons, I'm sure, for that. This is probably one. The church needs servants in the truest, purest sense of the word. So let's go back to the original question. Are we servants of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do we have a church full of servants, or do we have a church full of volunteers? Not, I'm talking to us because that's who we are, but I mean, I would ask any church that. In fact, I'm sure I'll preach this at another church somewhere in Montana. It's applicable to all of our churches. So in the church, according to what we're reading here and we read in other places in the Bible, uh, we, we don't really have opportunities for you to volunteer anymore. All the opportunities to volunteer are gone. But there's a lot of work to do. So we're going to serve together. We're going to take on the scriptures and we're going to let them, we're going to brood over these scriptures and we're going to let them impact our lives. We have opportunities to serve as those who own nothing, need everything, and obey in every way. I'll close with this idea. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25, there's a parable. It's the parable of the talents. Some of you may be familiar with that. Where the master gives, uh, gives away money, of talents. So the first one gets ten, the second one gets five, and one gets one. And they're supposed to steward this while the master is gone. The parable is really uh, uh, talking about us and us stewarding our lives and what he's given us on the earth. So the first two do well. The one who gets ten talents, he doubles the money that he was given before the master comes back. So does the second one. But the third one says, I knew, I knew that you were a harsh master and so I, I dug a hole and I put it in there and I left it. And I got that one, one left for you. 
And of course, he's not the one who's commended in the Scripture of being a good steward of the gifts that he was given by the Master. The point is for us to be stewards. But here's what I want you to hear. Those who stewarded well, here's what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 23. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful volunteer. I think you're getting the point, aren't you? That is not there. None of us are showing up in the presence of God at the end of this life and hearing those words. Well done, good and faithful volunteer. I really appreciate you giving me a little bit of your time. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share in your master's joy. He is the master of the sea. But is he the master of me? Thank you for listening to the Word of God Speak, the sermon podcast of Pastor Lee Merck. We hope that you are blessed by today's episode.